I want to talk to you this morning about the power of one yes. Because if God could put one yes in your heart, in my heart this morning, in a real and fresh way, I'm here to testify to you that everything could change by the power of one yes. See, we've been on a journey here at our Father's house. If you've been coming, you know this. In the month of October, we did what we call the reset. I couldn't help waking up this morning, seeing the calendar. And if you know me, I'm chronologically oriented. It's how I think and communicate. And I look at April 2nd and I think, wow, just six months ago on October the 2nd, that Sunday morning, six months prior to this day today, we were beginning the reset. And it was our final Sunday before we took three Sundays off. We didn't suspend meetings. We just said, hey, we're not going to do it for you. We believe this is a divine opportunity to follow the Lord. And it was our attempt at the obedience of Jesus that this is what He's leading us to do, where we laid it all down and we just said God have your way do whatever you're trying to do help us to get out of your way and to yield to you and so we took that time off and we invited people to seek the Lord and figure out whether our father's house was really a place that God was calling you to or whether you were just attending and watching something because what God is after in the earth right now as we are in the midst of a massive renewal Did you know there's a reformation that's taking place in the wider body of the Lord? And our Father's house is just one small and humble expression of it. But there's a reformation that's taking place and God is changing out wineskins in His church. And He's removing the old wineskin of seeker-friendly program people-orientedness. And He's moving us into His kingdom which manifests His presence and His power. He wants to be the main attraction in His church again. He doesn't want it to be about anybody else but Him. Why? I think He's earned that right. He's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. So we like to say around here, we want to host the Holy Ghost. That's our desire. That's our aim is to host His presence and to do whatever it takes. I mean, if you knew that Jesus was coming over, you'd say, what does He want and what does He need? We'd start cleaning. We'd start organizing. We'd start preparing because Jesus is coming. And we've got to have that level of expectation and hunger because this is not the hour to be sleeping. This is not the hour to seek entertainment and want to be stuffed to the gills with feel-good messages. Did you know that the end-time deception, Paul writes to Timothy and says that in the last days, which we're in the last days, that people will gather up for themselves teachers that teach them what their itching ears want to hear. And instead of the truth, they'll trade the truth for their own desires. So we've been challenging people. If the preaching that you hear doesn't offend you, doesn't convict you of sin, you might not be hearing the Word of God or your heart might be so hard that you're not responsive to the truth. And God is waking up so many. I am more encouraged right now in my journey in Jesus than I've ever been. I feel more alive than ever before. I feel the grace of God flowing in my life in a new and unusual way. And I'm here to trace it all the way back to the reset. 
where he shook this place. And he is continuing to shake this place. The Indiana Awakening meetings are not a show. They're not a gimmick. We're not having conferences. We're hosting the presence and the power of God. And God is touching our region. And he's meeting people from all over. From, from Ohio. From north and southern Indiana. He's bringing people from uh, Kentucky. From Pennsylvania. From Florida. From all over. Because God is moving in the earth earth and listen to me hear me this when God is moving you have to start moving because religion has the power to get you stuck and to keep you where you are you know why because the echo of religion shouts this is how we've always done it so when God wants to do a new thing, which really the new thing's not a new thing, it's the old thing, because He's always restoring the pattern to the church. He's restoring His Son to the church. He's restoring His fatherhood to His children. He's restoring the gifts and the fivefold ministry. There's so much that He's restoring. It's not an old thing. It's really the ancient thing. That he's always been doing before the foundation of the earth. Because he wants to be rightly seen and glorified. So religion starts screaming, this is how we've always done it. We can't do it differently. I was just with 10 pastors and leaders in Northern Ireland doing a training and equipping. And we began to discuss the possibility. What if God wanted you to meet at another time that wasn't Sunday morning? Oh, you could hear a pin drop. And pastors are chatty if you didn't know. They like to talk so much they get a microphone in front of them and try to do it every week. And there was silence. You could feel the tension. You could feel the draw. You could feel what the Spirit of God might be leading to do, bumping up against the religious system that says this is how we've always done it. Now religion also screams it doesn't take all that. You just calm down, man. What, did you get up on the wrong side of the bed? No, I woke up on the right side of the kingdom of God. And hope and peace and joy radiating out of my soul. Not because of what I did. I know what I'm capable of. Nothing. Doing nothing that has any eternal value. But when God grabs a hold of you, everything changes. So the power of one yes. You don't know the power of one yes. Because your yes is a seed before the Lord. Because your yes can set off a chain reaction. A ripple effect of dominoes. That your yes today could end up echoing in the halls of eternity in heaven forever. This is a powerful thing. When we talk about saying yes, we're talking about choice. We're talking about John 1.12 to him who received him. He gave them the right to be called children of God. You and I have been given the right by the blood of Jesus to be children, to be sons, to be daughters, and to claim that inheritance and to walk in that authority and that power and that grace. But if you don't understand your privilege, if you don't know your opportunity, if you don't seize the moment and you don't understand the times and seasons, my beloved, you will miss it. When God is moving, you have to start moving. When He is shifting, you have to start shifting. You have to get in the river and stay in the river and follow Him wherever He's going because Jesus is the best leader. Because your life doesn't need to make sense to unbelievers who don't get it anyway. Why are people who are born again of water and the Spirit trying to explain their existence on earth to people who are blinded in their unbelief? 
it's a waste of time. I've done it. I've tried it. I've counseled it. I've preached it. I've prayed it. I've prophesied it. I've labored over it. It doesn't work. Let me save you the trouble and the hassle. You just be on fire for Jesus. You just love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. You just be fixated on Him and you continue to walk down the narrow path even if everybody around you is perishing. You keep the faith. You hold the line. You hang on to Jesus. You lift His name high. And whatever you do, you don't quit. You don't back down. You don't give in. And when darkness rises, the scripture says, though the enemy comes in like a flood, the Lord will raise up a standard against him. Hello, that standard is the church of Jesus Christ. And so many are beginning to retain and raise the standard of righteousness again. I'm telling you, repentance and holiness is returning to the church, is returning to the pulpits of America. And this wicked and idolatrous nation is turning Turning back to God. It's not a political movement. It's not an intellectual revival. It's a spiritual awakening that's taking places in the hearts of so many all over. This is an exciting time to be alive. I hope my passion has started to get on you a little bit. I feel like some of us need to kindle afresh the gift of God that is within us. Some of us need to fast and wake up to the reality that time is ticking and we're living on borrowed time with borrowed air. We owe him everything. He doesn't owe us anything. Now, where were we, John 3? Some brother this morning said, our first time here, this guy got up and said, turn to Mark 5 or Luke 5. And then he never even read it. He just went off and we loved it. And then we closed our Bibles. I said, man, that was me. (laughs) Thank you, Lord. (laughs) John chapter 3. I'm over here in Galatians. I think I should go to the left. What happened during the reset? Everything changed. I find myself down in Georgia in an altar weeping before God, broken, so broken before the Lord in the middle of October. And the Lord said to me, Paul, you have fought me at every turn and transition of your life, and I want you to stop it. It wasn't a pleasant thing. It was a fearful thing. God grabbed a hold of me and said, you've been stubborn, you've been arrogant, you've been fearful, and you are in the way of what I want to do in your life. And in that moment, what I saw was that my yes was not a yes. My yes was a maybe. How can you say that? Aren't you serving the Lord? Aren't you doing? I'm not implying I was in any kind of sin or habitual activity to quench the Holy Spirit. None of that was in my life and still is not by the grace of God. But he showed me my yes rose up before the father. And when I looked at it, what I saw was a yes. And it was as if from the other side, I saw maybe. And the Lord said, I want you to give me your yes said I thought I already gave you my yes I've said yes to Jesus I'm saved I'm surrendered I'm filled with the Holy Spirit I can pray in tongues I can prophesy I've seen miracles we're doing the stuff here Lord what do you mean no your yes is a maybe I found that my yes was a 
Yes, but what are you going to do with my yes? If I give you my yes, Father, what are you going to do? How are you going to take it? And where are you going to lead me? If you show me the end of the road, then maybe I can give you yes from a full heart. And here's the Lord saying to me and saying to us, give me your yes. Because the power of one yes has the power to send you around the world, has the power to send you to your next door neighbor, has the power to have you have an awkward conversation in the grocery store or a restaurant that leads someone to Jesus and changes their life forever. But if your yes is not a yes, if your yes is a maybe, if your yes is a no, we quench Him and we grieve Him. So I've been on a journey six months long now of massive and deep repentance in my life where I realize this, the majority of what God has done in my life and in this church isn't because of me, it's in spite of me. I have been in God's way and I'm truly sorry. Please forgive me for my stubbornness for my arrogance, for my rebellion, for my sin, for wrestling and battling and striving with God at every turn. Father, I'm so sorry. I just want to give you my yes with a full heart. I've given God my yes and I've held back my emotions. I've tried to give Him my yes and I've negotiated and I've tried to bargain with Him and I've asked for a plea deal and can we lower the sentence here and God's like, no, you're my son and I love you and I want a yes in your heart. And I believe He wants a yes from all of us, His people. And I believe that many of you today, as I have been in process, I'm not putting something on you or hanging something Something over you. I'm simply inviting you into the wrestle and the journey that I've been on my whole life and more intensely in the last six months. So everything shifts. You've been resisting me. You've fought me at every turn and transition of your life. You know, in a former season, I would have tried to make God laugh. I would have tried to turn that into a joke. But there are times and moments and sincerity and humility where humor's not allowed and it's not welcome because it's inappropriate, it's immature. John 3, the power of one yes. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. We're in verse 1. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as a teacher, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, would you say born again? again. He cannot see the kingdom of God. So those who are not born again are blind. But once you're born again, you can see with spiritual eyes. The eyes of your heart have been enlightened to know the hope of His calling. To see the surpassing greatness of His riches amongst the saints. And everything changes when you get born again. This is a mystery, but this is true. And this is why so much misunderstanding happens in the lives of people who get born again. All of a sudden, you were doing things and now you're weird. 
It wasn't weird when you were partying and drinking and getting drunk every weekend with your friends. But now it's weird that you want to read your Bible and study and pray and help people less fortunate than you. Because blind people can't understand this truth. But the power of the gospel can open the eyes of all those who are hungry, all those who would cry out by faith, all those whom the Father is drawing. And I believe even afresh this morning, here today and watching online, there are those that are being drawn by the presence of the Father to be born again before Him. Nicodemus said to him, verse 4, How can a man be born when he's old? He cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born again, can he? Now, this is the epitome of confusion. Jesus saying, you got to be born again. And he's like, yo, I'm old. What do you want me to do? Go back in my mama and come back out. That doesn't make any sense. He's misunderstanding because so many times through the Gospels and in our lives, we misunderstand God because we interpret Him literally when He is speaking spiritually. When Jesus says, eat my flesh and drink my blood in John 6, He wasn't saying, come take a bite out of this. He was saying, come and die to yourself. Come and get over your sin and receive me a new life and eat of my flesh and be fed by me and drink of my blood and be satisfied in eternal things that you can't see. So he's confused. What in the world? Verse 5, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. No, my friends, we're not all getting in. No, my friends, we're not all saved. No, my friends, we're not all filled with saving faith in Jesus Christ. The world is perishing and fading away along with its lusts. Part of the end time deception is at the end of the age. God changes his mind and Jesus reverses every statement he ever made about hell and Hades and Gehenna and says, ah, just kidding, we're all going in together. Not. No. Universalism is a doctrine of demons. It's demonic in nature that enables people to live however they want. And then at the end of their life, they don't even have to call on Jesus. They can die in sin and then they can go to heaven. That's not how this works. You can't make up another gospel. That which is born of the flesh, verse 6, is flesh. And that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows, catch this, the wind blows where it wishes. And you hear the sound of it, but do not know where it comes from and where it is going. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. My, my, my. The mystery of being born again. If you are born of the Spirit, Jesus is saying you're like the wind. Does the wind blow one direction all the time? We just had tornadoes come through our region. We just had massive whipping wind that was destructive. You didn't know which direction it was heading. You had to run and take cover. 
Jesus is saying the born again experience is like the wind that it's moving. You hear the sound of it. You hear it in the, the leaves, the rustling of the trees. And you know it's real, but you can't see it. This is the life of the born again believer. People are not going to understand that which they cannot comprehend. This is my burden for the church of Jesus is in 1 Corinthians 2. Paul saying that spiritual things cannot be comprehended by the natural man. We've tried so hard through gimmicks and games and programs and shows and I shudder already at what's going to happen next week when the Super Bowl of all Sundays, Easter's on and we have to impress everybody. We have to make everybody happy. We have to go above and beyond. Listen, churches that try to go above and beyond on on an Easter morning all they're doing is broadcasting performance what if we had more prayer meetings because we said oh Lord the lost are more likely to come in and Jesus we need your power to touch them we want to see them weeping and crying we don't need more games so such is the life of being born again we need the church to be spiritual again She's been carnal. She's been social. She's been intellectual. She's been political. She's been perverse. God is making His bride holy. And He's readying us. Are you all with me this morning? So I want you to see the power of your yes. What are you going to do with my yes? You're going to get blown about by the wind. Your yes is going to look something like this. (laughs) Oh, how did we end up here? My goodness. I don't think I've ever preached over here. I'm off camera now. I can do whatever I want. <laughs> I'm blown about by the wind. We say, oh God, does this spark any fear in you? Did you know that the primary manifestation of fear is control? Oh, I don't struggle with fear. Well, you're a master manipulator and everybody in your life lives in fear of upsetting you. They live in fear of doing something contradictory to what you want because you're a controller. Because your fear, you're putting it on everybody else around you. If you struggle with spontaneity, if you struggle with things that are unplanned, you have a control issue which is rooted in fear. Release the fear to the Lord. No, I promise you, nobody around you enjoys your fear. But you like it so much that not only do you want to hold on to it, you want everybody else to have a peace. And you just got to say no in Jesus' name. That was a word for somebody. You can be blown about by the wind in your preaching, in your teaching. And your disciple making. You can be blown about by the wind in your conversation with anyone at anywhere at any time. Why? Because you're trusting for the Holy Ghost. You say, God, just make me an empty vessel. Just empty me out of me so that you can move mightily. So that my words would become your words. My thoughts would be your thoughts. And you could accomplish your will in the earth today through me. We have bought into all kinds of lies about the sovereignty of God. Here's what I know. God is sovereign. He always gets what He wills to do. Here's what I also know because the truth is in the tension. That God has in some ways limited Himself to accomplish His will through His people. So when God wants to deliver the nation of Israel, yeah, He sends plagues and He destroys things and He brings all kinds of displays of power. But first He shows up to Moses. 
Why didn't he just do it all himself? That's what I would have done. Listen, this guy's a slouch over here. And when we go over here and we, we have the bush on fire, he's going to go, well, I can't talk straight. And it says that the anger of the Lord burned against Moses because he wanted Aaron. Why are you stubborn? Why are you unwilling? I've just demonstrated my power. And instead of yes, your yes is, well, maybe. Or no, I can't do it. And all of our excuses begin to burn up. In the heat of his gaze as he calls us to a yes. To a life that's blown about. Not by every wind of doctrine. Because we're rooted and we're grounded in him. We know what we believe. I'm not talking about changing theology every week. I'm talking about being moved and positioned by the presence and power of God to where He sets you up to walk in the Ephesians 2.10 good works that He's prepared for you to walk in before the foundation of the world. It's all set up. The table's beautifully prepared and ready. All you got to do is sit down and eat. I want to give you three examples of saying yes from the Word of God to continue to lay this out. Would you turn with me to Hebrews chapter 11? I want to talk about Abraham as the first example of saying yes. Now Abraham's story is told in Genesis 12 verses 1 through 4. This particular text is referencing in Hebrews 11. This has got to be one of the most bizarre scriptures in the scriptures. Hebrews 11, we're going to read verses 8 through 10. If you're there, say amen. Amen. Hebrews 11, verse 8. By faith. So it takes faith. So if our heart isn't postured and positioned and full of faith, this ain't going to go so well. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. It's the evidence of things not seen. Faith looks like trust in the nature of God. We don't have faith in faith. We don't have faith in the power of faith. We have faith in the unchanging character and nature of who God is. So even if my faith doesn't work out, God is greater because He's faithful. And I'm betting on Him and not my own faith. Are you with me? By faith, Abraham. Would you say Abraham? Abraham. When he was called, obeyed by going out to a place which he was to receive for an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. This is bizarre. You show up and God says, All right, let's go. All right, you're you're moving. Pack your boxes. Get your moving truck ready. You're going. You say, God, where are we going? He says, we're going. We're going to where? We're going to going. We're going. Just get ready. Obey me. No, he's saying, I obeyed. I don't know where I'm going, but God's saying, I want you to pack. I want you to get ready. I want you to obey me because I'm calling you. See, we do this thing where it's like, oh, God, I give you my yes. And then we're like, yeah, well, show me the plan. 
Now that I've said yes, and now that I'm saved, and now that I've given my life to Jesus, show me how this is going to work out. Y'all, did you know that a few years ago I had a dream, and this is such a beautiful dream, but I was such an idiot in the moment that this dream upset me. Here's the dream. This is how stubborn this man is. I have a dream, and I see the Lord Jesus, and I'm in clouds of bright light. It's just white radiating everywhere, like a photo, like booth, just the light... I can't even see. All I can see is the back of Jesus' head. And I know it's him. And I can feel his presence in this dream. And he's walking out in front of me. And I'm walking directly behind him. And I'm looking at the back of his head. And we're walking. And the closer I get to the Lord, the more I physically feel the presence of God in this dream. And I get close. And I finally get so close that I'm able to peek over his shoulder. And he has this white sheet. And in the dream, I know that the plan for my life is on the sheet. So I'm trying to get close. I want to find out what's the deal. Where are we going? Where is this going to take me? And I get close. And every time in the dream, I tried three times. I got close enough. I peered over his shoulder. And right when I started to read it, it was like... And I got moved back like I got repelled like magnets that are wrong. And I was like moved away. And I'm like, oh, I got to try again. And he's walking. I got to find him. I'm staying behind him. I peek over his shoulder. Three times. I moved back. I woke up from this dream. Here's the last thing that he said to me before I woke up. He said, Paul, you want to know your future. I am your future. I woke up and got mad. Lord, this dream is trash. I got so close. You couldn't have let me read like the first three or five or even just the introduction. Like, oh, I need to know something. I mean, you told him I'm telling you this before it happens. I can quote scripture to Jesus. I'm telling you this before it happens so that when it does, you would believe. You would know that I'm he. I'm like, hey, I'm here. It's like, I am your future. God wants to be our future. He wants to be our all in all. He wants to be the great I am of everything we say and we do. But Lord, where are we going? Show me the destination and I'll get on the train. And the ticket that causes you to get on board is called faith. And without faith, it's impossible to board the train. But with faith, we please God. And we move forward in Him. Y'all here this morning. By faith, Abraham goes out. Where are we going? I don't know. I mean, what if we said, oh, we're, we're all moving. Be like, what? Where are we moving? We love details. We're Americans. We need to know the plan. We need to schedule. We need to prepare. We have our planners and our calendars, or back in the day, y'all called them daytimers. And if you still call it a daytimer, you're an old timer. <laughs> I love you so much. It's just a joke. I did not plan that. It just popped up and sometimes I can't hold it in. You just be quiet. Mm. And how did the church split again? When did the reset go bad? Right when he made fun of the old people. Seasoned saints. Vintage brethren. Verse 9. By faith, Abraham lived as an alien in the land of promise, 
as in a foreign land, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs of the same promise. For he was looking for the city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. This is so powerful. He doesn't know where he's going, but he obeys and he chooses to follow the Lord. And here's what he brings with him. Not just his possessions, but he brings his promise with him. And because he brought the promise with him, because he had the promise of God's presence and security, no matter what happened to him, no matter what obstacles that came against them, no matter what hindrances they faced, he had the promise and he laid a hold of the promise. And Romans 4 says that Abraham laid hold of the promise and he didn't waver in promise, in holding on to it that God said it, so I believe it. He he spoke it and it's real because God doesn't speak out of both sides of his mouth. He's not forked tongue. That's the serpent who is the devil. God doesn't tell any lies. He's always true. Somebody say amen. amen. He is faithful to his word and to his promises. So Abraham goes out. He doesn't know where he's going. He doesn't know how this thing's going to end up. But he's got the promise that God promised him that he would bless him. You read Genesis 12, 1 through 4. That he would bless him. That he would be with him. That he would make him a great nation. That he had an inheritance for him. That all those who blessed him would be blessed. That those who cursed Abraham would be cursed. And God said it. So Abraham believed. It so God starts moving, so Abraham starts moving. See, in the old covenant, we see this they make encampment, and then when the cloud moves, you better start packing. When the pillar of cloud starts moving, you start moving. When the pillar of fire starts moving at night, you start moving because you're following the presence of the Lord. Not for what you can get from him, but in humility and honor and love for him. God, you don't owe me anything. I owe you everything. Is such a healthy prayer to pray. So he has no idea where they're going, but he has the promise. And in verse 10, it says he was looking for the city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. He wasn't looking for an oasis in the earth. He wasn't looking for a cave or a spot in the hillside where it says, wow, this is exceedingly beautiful. This is where God was leading me. You know, he just wanted to give us an upgrade, y'all. Lot, this is good. High five, brother. No, he was looking for the city which has eternal foundations. He had his eyes even then set on the new Jerusalem. He was fixated on eternal things. God, I'm going to follow you even if it doesn't make sense. I'm going to follow you even if it doesn't turn out like I think it should. I'm going to follow you even if I'm discouraged or I'm disappointed or I'm wrestling. Why? Because at the end of the day, I'm not following my feelings. I'm following the truth. And you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. You're not always going to feel it. If I read my Bible every time I felt like it, I would read it a whole lot less. If I prayed every time I felt like it, my prayer life would dwindle rapidly. 
If I prayed for others every time I felt like I've got enough in the tank and, you know, I could spare a few. That's that's the language of orphans, of meager expectation. I encourage you when you feel empty, start praying for other people. Because the scripture says that those who water others will themselves be refreshed. Perhaps our lack of water is that we're just too busy going, I need a drink, I need a drink, somebody please help me. But if we would begin to give, then we would receive. See, the church has been tricked and deceived into thinking that it's all about me and i got to get more of mine and I'm going to leave my church or this ministry because I'm not getting fed. But all we do when we say that is we broadcast our immaturity in the Lord because He wants us to grow up and learn how to feed ourselves. How to get water and oil for ourselves so that we grow up into the fullness of the stature of Jesus so that we're not tossed here and there. So that we don't need someone to make us feel good all the time. We're shepherded by the Good Shepherd. And we're loved by the Father deeply and securely. So he took the promise of his presence with him. We take the promise of God's presence with us. Did Jesus say, I will never leave you or forsake you? Let me try this side. Did Jesus say, I will never leave you or forsake you? And if he said it and he's faithful to his word, then even when I feel alone, I'm not alone. Jesus said in the Gospels, I'm not alone because the Father is with me. I want that kind of connection and relationship with God as my Father where I'm not alone. My Father's with me. He's fathering me and seeing me through. Everything that happens to me in my life either comes directly from His hand or passes through His fingers because I'm under the shadow of the Almighty and He loves me and He's not going to throw me away even when I feel like dirt, even when I mess up even when I've sinned no he's going to be faithful to love me to wash me in his grace it says he longs to be gracious to his children he delights in showing mercy you know when you mess up in that moment God starts delighting in the mercy that he's going to show you what kind of God is this none of us get what we deserve hell is what we deserved Abraham said yes without knowing the final destination. I'm totally blown away. I was blown away afresh and anew this morning. I was crying. Oh God, where are we going? Just trust me. I want to give you the second example here. Acts 9. That's the first example. I'm going to give you three. Abraham is a great example of saying yes. Acts chapter 9. We're going to look at the conversion of Saul, who we call Paul. What a yes that this man gave to the Lord. I'm so humbled. God, forgive me for my yes being a maybe. No more, Lord, help me. Help us this morning, Father. Acts chapter 9, I want to begin in verse 10. You can read the whole account later. So he gets knocked down. Jesus appears and says, why are you persecuting me? And then they have this exchange here, verse 10 of Acts chapter 9. Now there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord said to Ananias in a vision, Ananias. And he said, behold, 
Here am I, Lord. Does that sound like a yes? What if he would have said, Lord, I'm sleeping. Lord, I'm busy. Lord, I'm in the middle of dinner. Or what if he would have just said, nothing. Ignoring God is disrespectful. The same way that ignoring someone is disrespectful. I used to be a server for many years. I loved my time in the restaurant. You know, if you want to be rude to your server, just ignore them when they approach your table. That's rude. Now, I get it if they're overwhelming you and they're constantly asking you if you clip your toenails or something. You say, leave us alone and get me another Coke while you're at it. But it's rude to ignore. I approached this table one time. It's like eight people. Hey, Good evening, my name is Paul. Be taking care of you. What can I get you started? You want blah, blah, blah. Going through the whole thing. Eight of them. Nobody responded. And I wasn't whimpering or whispering. I'm like, so I went through the whole, hey, hey, good evening. And I, nobody responded. They were just chatting, whatever. So I went, <laughs> like real loud. They were like, and I said, I'm really sorry. I just had to get your attention. And they gave me a great tip, by the way. Praise the Lord. I think they were afraid to tip me less than 20%, honestly. Like, this guy's nuts. <laughs> I have a lot of great stories from serving. Jesus, bless everybody I served. Amen. So Ananias says, Behold, here am I, Lord. Yes, Ananias, yes. Verse 11, the Lord said to him, Arise and go to the street called Straight and inquire at the house of Judas for a man from Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. Paul's blind. He's been blinded by God. He's had this encounter with Jesus, but he's suffering a little bit and he's having a vision. A man named Ananias is going to come lay hands on you. So even the blind can receive visions. So here's Ananias' response. Verse 13, Lord, I've heard from many about this man, how much harm he did to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call upon your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, verse 15, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to hear, to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel. For I will show him how much he must be blessed. For my name's sake. Did I, did I mess it up? Oh, I was reading from the American church version. Excuse me. Let me try this again. For I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. What a commissioning. Jesus shows up and says, you're a chosen instrument of mine. And if you say yes, you're going to suffer. 
See, we've made ministry a fantasy in America. And it's like, oh, you're going to get commissioned and you're going to be a pop star. You're going to be a superstar. You're, everybody's going to like, no, 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 no. Listen, true ministry is service. It's suffering. It's behind the scenes. It's making sure that other people eat first. It's making sure that you finish last so that others can be honored. It's taking care of all the needs of all those that get skipped over. It's learning how to prefer others more important than yourself. So he shows up. Show him he's going to suffer for my name. This is the inauguration of the Apostle Paul's ministry. Say yes and you'll suffer. I wonder if we preached again through the Word of God that you must enter into the kingdom through many trials and tribulations. That's what the Word says. You enter into the kingdom. You get deeper and deeper into the kingdom. You can take less with you the farther you go in God. Because it's the nature of the kingdom. It's like a birth canal and you get squeezed. And there's pressure. And there's a lot on the line. So you're going to suffer. So Paul's response was what? We know it was yes. But turn to 2 Timothy. At the end of Paul's life. This is the beginning of Paul. I want to show you the end of Paul. In 2 Timothy chapter 1. His last letter. Before he's martyred. He's writing to his dear son in the faith, another apostle named Timothy, who was not the pastor of Ephesus. He was an apostolic son to the apostle Paul. They were functioning in apostolic, not pastoral ministry. We had the beginning. Now here's the end. 2 Timothy 1. He's writing to his son. He's imprisoned in Rome. Therefore, verse 8, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me, his prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel according to the power of God. So he was told he was going to suffer and he's inviting his spiritual son into the suffering of serving the gospel of God. Is this popular? You think we can draw a crowd? I've never in my life seen a conference on suffering. I've never in my life seen a conference on humility. I've never in my life seen a conference on service. But by God, I've seen a lot of revival. I've seen a lot of fire. I've seen a lot of people showing up for another touch and another impartation from somebody they don't even know. They've got Holy Spirit in them, but that's not good enough. We need the man of God to touch us. It's performance. It's idolatry. It's nonsense. But you'll attract a crowd. You'll sell tickets. We still okay? Join with me in suffering for the gospel according to the power of God. Verse 9, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling. Not according to our own works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was granted us in Christ Jesus. Catch this. From all eternity. God determined to show us grace from eternity past. You know, God doesn't say, huh, 
kind of weighing the scales here. Been really gracious to you lately. And I don't know about more. It says in Ephesians 1 that He's lavished His grace upon us in Jesus. So He's shown us grace before the foundation of the world from all eternity. We were chosen, but now has been revealed, verse 10, by the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. For which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher. So he's a ketix, an evangelist, an apostle, and a teacher. All those things running through him. Verse 12, for this reason, I also suffer these things. Please listen to this. But I am not ashamed. Would you say not ashamed? ashamed. I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed. And I am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. From the beginning to the end, Paul saying, my yes is safe with Jesus. My yes has cost me a lot in this life. My yes has led me to suffering and dying to myself. But oh, my yes is safe with Jesus because the yes I gave Him, I will be rewarded for. And no one can steal the rewards of my yes because I put my rewards in the heavens where they can't be corrupted, where they can't be stolen from me. You know where you find out where your yes is really a yes? Right in your wallet. And we're not taking up another offering, and I'm not here to condemn you, but you need a conviction before God about how to steward your finances. Because greed and fear will turn your yes into a no. You will begin to give, and you will begin to give more, and God will lead you to more and more and more. It's called generosity. It's how the kingdom works. We didn't take up $21,000 in a flash because we were pitching in our peanuts. We were saying, no, God, you're moving, and when you're moving, I want to move. Our yes is a yes to Jesus when our yes is a yes in our finances. Why? Because you can't love God and money. You can't serve God and money. Jesus said where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. All we're doing every time we give unto the Lord is treasuring Jesus. Jesus, you're my treasure. Jesus, I honor you. Jesus, I give you my yes. But we've invented a whole gospel that says you can give your yes to Jesus but not give Him your wallet. It doesn't work that way. We're in such a strange and unusual time in our lives and in the earth. I've been asking Taylor, we've been putting it all out there like if I can't write a check for every dollar in my bank account, God, I'm in idolatry. I'm in fear. I'm in greed. And if you think that you're going to become generous when you get wealthy, I promise you that poverty fear will follow you all the way to the top. Oh, and I make 50. I'm making 40 now, but when I make 50 a year, then I'm wrong. No, Jesus is your treasure, whether you have a little or a lot. Whether you're stewarding hundreds or thousands or millions, Jesus is the treasure. He's the yes. So Paul says yes to suffering, right? Jesus shows up. Acts 9. 
Tell him he's going to suffer. Paul says yes to suffering. And then at the end of his life, right before martyrdom, he says yes to suffering again. He says yes while suffering. Did you know that it's not a one-time thing? I know I said the power of one yes, but really the power of one yes is draped over our whole lives. It's not a yes in a moment and no later. It's not a yes in the beginning and then no when it gets hard. It's a yes, 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 yes. Because I gave up my rights and I gave them to Jesus and He's in charge now. He gets to call the shots. He gets to do with me what He wants because I'm His slave. Yes, I'm a son, but He's my master and I'm serving Him. So Jesus, whatever You want, wherever You want, however You want, You're the Lord and Master and I'm going to obey You. This is what real lordship looks like. Did you know in a church that we have preached friendship without lordship? It's a huge crisis. It's an issue. It's what breeds false converts. You have people that know friendship with God, but they don't know lordship. That's not real salvation. If the God you're following never leads you to do something you don't want to do, you might be following yourself. You might be your own God. The last one is in Matthew 26. Three examples of saying yes. Are we doing all right? Number one is Abraham. Number two is Paul. And number three is in Matthew 26. I'll give you one guess. He's always the right answer. I went to Bible college. If you didn't know, you just wrote Jesus. Like, what are the nine theories of the atonement? J-E-S-U-S-C-H-R-I-S, Jesus Christ. And your professor feels bad and is like, instead of minus nine, you get a minus eight. <laughs> like, ooh, plus one. I failed Bible. No, I'm kidding. Huh? <laughs> Jesus, help me. One time it got so bad here a few months ago, I literally went, all right, back to Paul. It's like, all right. Mm-hmm. Three examples of saying yes. Abraham, Paul, number three is Jesus. Why? Because Jesus is the yes and amen of God. He is the Father's yes. Matthew 26, verse 36 Then Jesus came with the disciples to a place called Gethsemane and said to his disciples, Sit here while I go over there and pray. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, James and John, and began to be grieved and distressed. He's having a hard time. Then he said to them, My soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. This is our Lord Jesus talking. My soul is deeply grieved. In Luke it says that he was sweating like drops of blood. He's in agony. Remain here and keep watch with me. Verse 39. And he went a little beyond them. He fell on his face and prayed saying, My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Yet not as I will, 
but as you will. I'm telling you, I've realized that I've prayed this prayer so many times, God, not my will, but your will be done. And I just lied right to God's face. I thought I meant it. I didn't even know I didn't mean it. I was blind to my own rebellion. I know that there are things in my life that need to shift that I don't even know about right now. Because I'm going to find out as I continue to say yes and walk with Him. But I'm telling you, the cost of whatever we lose pales in comparison to the surpassing value of knowing Jesus. And he went a little beyond them, falls on his face. Father, not my will, but your will be done. Verse 40. Jesus came back to the disciples and he found them sleeping and said to Peter, So you men could not keep watch with me for one hour. Just one hour you couldn't pray. Eternity is crashing in in this moment. I just told you I'm deeply grieved and y'all couldn't even pray with me. Jesus is saying yes, but everybody around him is saying no. They're falling asleep. And Jesus saying you couldn't even keep watch. Verse 41, keep watching and praying that you may not enter into temptation. For the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. So how do I keep my yes a yes? By watching and by praying. By paying attention and staying in the prayer room. By staying on my face before the Lord. By seeking Him with all my heart. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Verse 42, He went away again a second time and prayed, My Father... If this cannot pass away unless I drink it, your will be done. Father, if this is the way, my answer is yes. I'm going to ask again, is this the way? My answer is yes. Verse 43, And he came again and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. And he left them again and went away. He doesn't even wake them up this time. Just remain asleep. He goes back away a third time. Saying the same thing once more. Praying to the Lord. Verse 45. Then he came to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and taking your rest? Behold, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Arise, let us be going. Behold, the one who betrays me is at hand. Now the no surrounding Jesus is intensifying. He's praying, he's watching, he's seeking, but everybody around him is sleeping and saying no to the moment. Let's keep reading. Verse 47, And while he was still speaking, behold, Judas, one of the twelve, came up accompanied by a great multitude with swords and clubs from the chief priests and elders of the people. Now he who was betraying him gave them a sign saying, Whoever I shall kiss, he is the one, seize him. And immediately Judas went to Jesus and said, Hail, Rabbi. 
and kissed him. And Jesus said to him, Friend, do what you came for. And they came and laid hands on Jesus and seized him. Can you say yes to Judas? Can you say yes to those that are betraying you? Can you say yes to the call of God? Even when those around you that you've loved, that you've discipled, that you've led, don't understand? I heard some brother say the test of Christianity isn't loving Jesus. It's loving Judas. I thought, my God, I've failed the test of Judas so many times. I've eaten the poison of bitterness and anger and gone, oh, I want to see him get some. I used to pray for my enemies because I felt obligated because Jesus said we're supposed to. So I pray, Lord, get them. Show them they're wrong. Show them I'm right. And Jesus said, that's not how you pray for your enemies. I said, but it feels good. And I'm following my feelings in this moment. No. I want you to pray for your enemies so you don't become like them. I want you to pray and ask me to bless them. You know how Jesus prayed for his murderers? He pleaded for their innocence. He's being crucified. He's bleeding and dying. He's suffocating in his own blood. Naked and ashamed and made to be a mockery and humiliated and he is pleading with God Lord please don't hold it against them and I'm like I, I am so far away from the heart of Christ that wants to not, I just don't want to see my enemies blessed I want all the wrong that they did to me God I don't even want you to hold it against them I want you to forget about it because it doesn't matter to me, so I don't want it to matter to you. That's what real forgiveness looks like. That's what being released from bitterness looks like. The orphan spirit is built upon victimhood. The orphan heart cries out, I've been wronged. Somebody wronged me. Somebody did me dirty and I want to get them back. And so we begin to blame shift because it's how we remain a victim. But Jesus comes to move us out of victimhood and into sonship where He wants what He did for us to be greater than anything that's been done to us. This is how you become an overcomer where you let things go and you forgive and you release and you move forward. Why? Because you said yes to God. If your yes is a yes to people, then their no can become your no. But if your yes is to God, even people around you saying no means you keep saying yes because you're going to be faithful to fulfill what He asked you to do. Your yes is not contingent upon anyone else's response. Paul writes in this letter and says, At my first defense, nobody stood with me. Everybody deserted me. But I pray it wouldn't be held. I'm like, don't hold, here we go again. Don't hold it against them. The anger of man cannot accomplish the righteousness of God. But what if I get like righteously angry? 
What if I get like really, really angry? What if I start a vigilante ministry? And we start correcting all the wrongs and all the abuse and all the hurt and all the trauma and all the rape and all the sexual harassment. Why don't we just give them? No, 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 no. One day, Jesus will make all the wrong things right. He said, vengeance is mine. I will repay. You let God get them back. But you release them to the Lord. You forgive. You move forward. You ask God to show them mercy. Could I look my Judas in the face and call him friend? Friend. Do what you came here to do. Because Jesus was looking past that moment and saying, what you're doing is setting me up to fulfill God's will. What if all the trauma and all the pain that we've experienced in life was a setup from the hand of the Father to allow us to grow in Him and then make a difference in the world? I remember being 17 years old and I was a deeply fractured teenager who was suicidal and depressed and hated my life. And I remember this brother comes up to me in an altar and I'm weeping because I've got a broken heart and I've got all kinds of issues. And he puts his arm around me and he says, the pain that you've been through is God's gift to you. And I was like, what? What do you mean it's God's gift? What do you mean the betrayal and the hurt and the pain? This is a gift from God. This feels like torture. This feels like hell. This feels like I'm never going to be able to rightly relate to people again. This is God's gift to you. Why? Because our pain has purpose if we give it to God. But our pain is absolutely useless and destructive if we keep it to ourselves. If we hold it in and we grow bitter and we grow weary and we grow angry and we begin to blame shift and we begin to point the finger like Adam in the garden and say, God, this woman who you gave me. We would have a revival of marriages if we started looking in the mirror and stopped talking about her. I don't ever want to hear any brothers in this house talk about submission unless you're talking about service first. Jesus, who modeled unwavering obedience when it was inconvenient, when it was painful, and even when it was fatal. His yes was a yes. The power of one yes. What's the power of Jesus' yes? We're all here because of Jesus' yes. We're all standing right before the Father because of Jesus' yes. Who could be in God's kingdom? Who could be in God's family because of your yes? See, my yes is actually wrapped up in my father's yes. Because I grew up in the things of the Lord. Because I was raised in the house of God. And it's one of the great privileges of my life to know not just Jesus, but the Holy Spirit. Somebody say amen. Because you can know him and you can be saved and not filled. And it's a huge problem. But my yes was wrapped up in his. So on December 10th, 1970, when he repented and gave his life and God changed everything in his yes is my yes. And my yes is his yes. And in my yes is the yes of my sons. Wow. 
is the yes of so many because the power of one yes can set off the dominoes and start a chain reaction in the Holy Spirit that can echo unto eternity that you can begin to rack up massive eternal rewards if we would just say yes if we would stop arguing, stop fighting, stop bickering and stop complaining. I don't have time to whine and complain. I'm too busy giving God my yes. I don't want to talk anymore about what they didn't do or how they didn't show up. Or Guys, listen, if you are always the victim in your own story, you have an orphan heart and you need healing from the love of God to upgrade you and help you see Jesus is worthy. You can get over it. You can move on. There does come a day when God comes knocking and says, I want you to give me the trauma and the pain and the shame and the angst and the hurt because I'm going to make you new. And I'm going to remove at where you feel ashamed. Isaiah 61, 7, I'm going to give you a double portion. I'm going to shower you with mercy. And the things that you feel so much shame about, you're now going to prophesy and pray and preach and teach out of that place of shame and it's not going to shame you anymore shame is a prison that has the power to destroy us for a lifetime i've lived many days in the shame prison here's the issue we have though two things personally and then corporately personally we have a tendency to admire someone else's yes without being provoked to give one of our own. What do we do in society? We idolize people who gave a big yes and say, wow, that's so awesome. We write books about William Wilberforce or Martin Luther King Jr. or whoever you can think of that made massive systemic change and praise the Lord. We love their yes, but God's calling all of us to get one of our own. So personally, we tend to admire people with a big yes so that we can keep our maybe. And then corporately, we have an issue in the church where we've taught people that you can say no to the cross and yes to the resurrection. But if you say no to the cross, you say no to the resurrection and the life. But if you say yes to the cross of Christ, then we can have resurrection power and eternal life. But we've preached a gospel without standards for fear of offending people. We've offended God. We've preached another gospel, a different spirit, and another Jesus is what Galatians 1 says. Is what 2 Corinthians 11, 2-4 says. Jesus is the most polarizing figure that has ever lived, bar none. Do you know what polarizing means? Like north and south. Like the Arctic and Antarctica, far away, polarizing. Do you know why so many people think they can be neutral with Jesus? Why they can hang out in the happy middle? Because another Jesus has been preached to them. Because of the Jesus of the scriptures who said, I've not come to bring peace, but a sword and family will turn on family. If that Jesus was preached again, we would figure out who's following him and who's following themselves. We wouldn't have such an issue with sheep and goats and wheat and tares and we can't tell who's who. No, the evidence is repentance, is humility, is doing the will of God. 
They want to know who's your family, Jesus. Behold your mother and your brothers, he responds in John 3. He says, no, my family, my mother and my brother are those who do the will of God. So Jesus brings a dividing line, a very painful one, even into our families. But I'm telling you, that is a costly offering that we can give to God. That says, even though there's misunderstanding, even though there's pain, even though Thanksgiving is weird and Christmas is awkward or I'm not even there, Jesus, it's because I've given you my yes. And even if they say no, I still give you my yes. I want you to write three things down if you would. I want you to write to some Jesus is. I give you three groups of people that I believe categorize the whole world. It's a bold statement, isn't it? To some, Jesus is, number one, he's trivial. He's of little to no importance. The second group of people is that to some, Jesus is trash. He is to be discarded and despised. And number three, the third group, which I pray is you today. To some, Jesus is the treasure. To some, he's trivial. To some, he's trash. But to some, he's treasure. Do you treasure Jesus in your heart of hearts today? Fear will put a no in you. You all hearing me? Fear will put a no in you. This is why perfect love casts out fear. Because where fear has put a no, the love of God comes in to evict fear and move every no to a yes. Because we give God our no when we're afraid. We give God our no when when we're confused. But here's the deal. So often in my life, I thought I was confused, but I wasn't confused. I was afraid. My fear was manifesting as confusion. I was saying, oh God, I don't know what to do. And the truth was I did. I was just scared to do it. Because my yes was a maybe. I'm trying to give Jesus my yes and it be a yes. And it be a yes and amen. And it be a yes no matter the cost. No matter where it takes me. No matter how rich or poor I become. No matter how blessed or cursed in this life I become, I want my yes to be a yes to you, Jesus. I want your love to move out every fear and evict every no and every shred of resistance and opposition to doing your will. Would you put a yes inside of my heart? Because I can't gather one in my own strength. Psalm 40, verse 8. I delight to do your will, O God. Can we honestly say that we delight to do the will of God? I've done it begrudgingly more times than I can count. I'll do the right thing, but I'll do it with a bad attitude. Doing the right thing with the wrong attitude gets us no reward. You might as well not do it actually. Because God is a rewarder of those who seek Him and He honors the motives of our hearts. The goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart. It's pure morally and it's pure motivationally. It's pure in why are you doing what you're doing. See, we're so interested in the what. What did you do? God is interested in how and why did you do it. Because he's touching the motive. 
You can give a yes on the outside, but a no on the inside. People who struggle with anger, they're sitting down on the outside, but they're standing up on the inside. Father, we ask this morning that you would shift us to a yes. I want to give two calls this morning. The power of one yes. What could God do with your yes? Whose life could be changed and eternally impacted by your yes today? I want to give two calls. And I want to invite you forward if you feel the Holy Spirit working on your heart. If God has been actively shifting and touching you. The first call is for anyone who would say yes to Jesus for the very first time. If there would be anyone here this morning that is far away or doesn't know Jesus, that you don't know God or you don't know Him like has been preached this morning, but you want to walk with Jesus and you want to say yes to the Lord of Lords and King of Kings and you want to receive all that He has for you and you want Him to be the Lord of your life and you want to stop trying in your own strength to live your own way but you just want to say yes to Jesus. If that's you this morning, I want you to know these altars are open. And if you want to say yes to Jesus again, this is the second group. If you feel you need to say yes to Jesus again, I want to ask you to stand right now. And I want to invite you forward. If you're in the first or the second group, I want you to come forward. There's nothing special about this carpet. It's just an act of surrender. It's an act of obedience. I'm going to be right here with you trying to give Jesus my yes from a pure and a full heart to say yes to Jesus Christ again I want to invite you forward to allow the Holy Spirit to work on your heart to convict you of sin if you become conscious of anything in you that grieves God just confess it to Him and He's faithful and just to cleanse us from all unrighteousness today there's an offering of mercy and grace repentance isn't a dirty word it's a gift from God it's an offering of mercy it's an offering for a do-over if you need to say yes to the Lord I want you to come down I just want to invite the rest of you if you didn't come down if you would stand and if you need to go we bless you and we love you But I want to invite you to linger, to stay in God's presence and to begin to pray. I want to shift us into an atmosphere of prayer right now where every person that's still here is connecting and calling on the name of the Lord. God is dealing mightily with people's hearts this morning. I know He's working deeply in mine. And I believe the power of your yes, the power of a collective yes, in this fellowship is going to shake this region and shake the gates of hell. What could God do with our yes? What could God do with our amen? With our surrender? What could God do with our yes to Him at all costs? Father, we ask right now in the name of Jesus that You would put a yes in our hearts. That You would put a yes to You 
and a no to sin. That you would put a yes to grace and a no to all that would hinder us. You would just begin to pray with me. Just begin to lift your voice to the Lord. We don't believe in quiet worship and reserved religion. We believe in engagement with God that sometimes is messy and loud and it's okay. This is a safe place to encounter the Holy Spirit as He leads you, as He moves upon your heart. God, would you break our hearts for what breaks yours? Would you move us to repentance and humility right now? Father, we're sorry for resisting you and rebelling against you, Lord. Want our yes to be a yes from a full heart, from a pure place, from a sincere place, God. Holy Spirit, come and work. God, have your way. Would you reunite marriages? Would you heal families? Would you restore broken souls right now? Jesus, we say yes and yes to you alone.